Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retreat on Patreon. My name is Scott McLeod and I'm welcoming you to a brand new series called East Beats West. Don't get confused by that title. This is not a comprehensive review of the 1999 British cult classic East is East, nor its 2011 sequel, West is West. This is, in fact, a monthly review rounding up all the latest goings on in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm Scott McLeod, as I said, and joining me to run down all the goings on in New Japan, as a man who can, as his efforts from November can be afraid of leaving him looking like a Poundland Tom Selleck as Grant McRobbie. Hello there, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, man? I'm very good. Very good. <laughs> uh, before we get started, a little bit of housekeeping. Obviously, you listen to our Patreon. You can pledge to us for a little as $1 a month to give something back to the pod. For $4 a month, you can check out great content like this. Seren Kwaku's monthly Scottish Indie roundup, which should be called Indie Sausage Roll. Uh, all the weekly reviews of Raw, SmackDown, the Wednesday Night Wars, our bi-weekly NWA Power Reviews, all our retro stuff. And for $6 a month, you can check out our Taboo Tuesday, TR, I believe it's called, where you can actually interact in Q&As and play video games with us. And as well, our regular feed is still completely free on all good Android podcast sites, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes. And we're on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Suplex Retreats. But with all the plugs and all that out of the way, Grant, are you excited to talk about some New Japan? Oh, I'm definitely excited. It's been a really <laughs> great thing lately. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think, especially right now, this is as good a time as to start a, a series about New Japan as we're right in the thick of it in terms of the build to Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, we've got all the big, the big announcements coming in. Still, some matches to cement in place, and it's going to be an exciting month ahead before it hits us in January. Yeah, definitely. Because the first show we're going to talk about uh, Power Struggle, which is the big November show, it went down on the third of November. That's usually the big show where certain champions are challenged, and their marquee matches for Wrestle Kingdom are cemented. And this this year, with Wrestle Kingdom being across two nights, January fourth and January fifth this year. There is still some big matches to, to be announced to fill out both nights. We'll go into Power Struggle, and the first thing we'll talk about with Power Struggle, we're not going to break down every match because the start of Power Struggle was very tag match, very eight-man, six-man tag heavy. But we will talk about the one of the key matches that the Power Struggle is kind of built around, and that is the finals of the Super Junior Tag League. We had the road to Power Struggle, which with all the first round matches and all the rest of the tournament, with the finals culminating at Power Struggle in Osaka. And the finals came down to Rapongi 3K, Sho and Yo, and the team representing Suzuki Gun, Kanamaru, and El Desperado. Now, there was a bit of a debate on whether or not these two teams should be in the finals. 
well, that is coming from the tie team champions themselves, El, ALP, El Fantasmo, and Bone Soldier, Taiji Shimori, as all three teams had 10 points, but Sho defeated El Desperado in a tiebreaker match on the road to Fairstruggle to cement the fact it would be Rufongi 3K versus Suzuki Gun in the final. Yeah, and that was a. I thought that we were going to make it a triple threat, but when I heard it was a one on one, it keeps it fresh, even if it is technically Rapongi 3K in the finals again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because this is like the third year in a row where Rapongi 3K have been in the finals. They won it their first year, they were in the finals, and they became the first like team of junior tie champs to win this tournament, and now they're in the finals again. And they could have done a, a triple threat because I believe. Uh, there was a tie in points which led to a triple threat match at Wrestle Kingdom uh, last year. It was last year, and it was fun enough. Pretty much the same three teams. You just switch the champions at our Bullet Club for LIJ. Yeah, because so if you're going to involved in last year, we had uh, Shingo Takagi and Bushi involved as in LIJ, but now we had a straight up one on one match. I get what you're saying. Rapongi 3K again in the finals, but other than the fact that it was kind of you can you can argue it's the same team again. Did you was this, did you enjoy it? Would you say this was a good final? The final was absolutely brilliant, and for me, the big excitement was seeing El Desperado back after such a lengthy time out with injury, missing the best of Super Juniors. Yeah, just didn't win it because I was really behind <laughs> El Desperado. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I agree with you. One of the best matches on the show, I think, was this tag final. But I guess I think it's just the fact that Rapongi 3K as they are can be as great as the top face team in the division right now. It always does seem to be that they'll get the tag titles back eventually because they came into the division with such momentum as winning the tag titles on their first night back from excursion and it does seem to be that they will always work their way back. But they told a good story with Suzuki-gun constantly isolating Rupongi 3K and it didn't feel too predictable when they won because when you think about it, Bullet Club v Suzuki-gun would have been kind of a would have been a good match, but I don't think they want to go with a heel v heel team at Wrestle Kingdom. No, New Japan like to keep a good heel and face dynamic in all their matches, so it was it was predictable. But we never know; they might find a way to make it a triple threat again, anyway. <laughs> Possibly, you know. And uh, we could always, if Rapongi 3K do pull out the win, we could always have a rematch with Desperado and uh, Karamura down the line because. I believe they told the story in the match where they said that they had lost the tie titles to Kanemaru and Desperado in the past, so it was kind of a bit of redemption for Pongi 3K defeating these guys finally and earning the way back to potentially being junior tag champs again. That's definitely been Rapongi's been a solid tag title holders in the past, and they always feel like they're they're really ready to go go the whole way. Yeah. And Really, Wrestle Kingdom, it may be potentially a similar match to before what we've had, but Rapongi 3K always give it everything at Wrestle Kingdom without yeah. fail. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one a very interesting moment from from Power Struggle. I remember I heard of this moment because news travels fast on Twitter before I'd even seen the show. We had a pretty standard tag match. It was a... Uh, Yoshihashi teaming with Okada, the current IWGP heavyweight champion, against Hiroshi Tanahashi, the ace of New Japan, and the man who holds the championship opportunity for January 4th against Okada, Kota Ibushi. Now, it felt weird with this match being so low on the card, but obviously, 
given everything else in the card with the other title matches and the Junior Tag League final kind of made sense in the grand scheme of things. But the match was less so important, but what happened after when Ibushi and Tanashi were celebrating the win, the lights went out, and we saw the appearance from AEW's Chris Jericho challenging Tanahashi to a match on January 5th, the second night of Wrestle Kingdom. Grant, were you surprised to see Jericho back in in New Japan, given the fact he is Le Champion currently in AEW? I was very surprised. It was not something that I saw coming, but it also plays into a theory that I've had for a while, that Jericho seems to be going after all the different faction leaders or previous faction leaders one at a time. It does seem to be the case, because he went after Kenny when Kenny was political leader. He went after Naito, leader of LIJ, Okada's leader of Chaos. It does seem to play into it, but we can clearly see this is a different version of Jericho from what you've seen in AEW, because in AEW he is, as I said, Le Champion. He's this brash, arrogant, late veteran, thinks everyone should thank him. But this was this painmaker version of Jericho that he's been uh, trying to employ in in, uh, New Japan. He's kind of trying to go harken back to the days of a Stan Hansen bruiser party and this foreign like gaijin who comes in and basically terrorises the Japanese audience and the wrestlers. Yeah, and they've done a good job building towards it when you think back to the last Jericho match against Okada and it was Mm -hmm. Tanahashi that came out to save Okada at the end of the night. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, Jericho, he doesn't forget, but he will take his time in getting his revenge, as we've seen, because he does seem to take long absences from New Japan. And it'll be interesting to see if the AEW champ will mm-hmm. beat the ace, or will he actually get beaten while he's still champ? It would be interesting, because I think Jericho's still got a lot ways to go as AEW champion. He's been very entertaining as a champ, and I think he'll hold on to it for quite a while so they can build to the next top guy in AEW taking it from him. But something I'm interested in, I don't think he'll come out with the belt, but I think it's one of the things I think I think social media would burn itself down if Jericho came in and beat Tanahashi, the ace in New Japan, with that Judas Effect finisher of his, because as much as they try to protect it, it's not been the most popular finisher amongst fans online. Yeah, it's, I'm not going to lie, it's a spinning elbow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I get what he's going for, though. It's if it's in UFC and you had an outmail like that, could knock you out. But like Jericho forgets, he's not a Brock Lesnar or Ken Shamrock type where that would be believable. Like you're, you're Chris Jericho. I mean, the Codebreaker, I fair enough, but like the spinning elbow. Yeah, the spinning elbow just the Codebreaker, devastating looking. The balls yeah. of Jericho, the Lion Tamer, devastating looking. Mm-hmm. The spinning elbow, done right. It does look pretty bad, but. Mm-hmm. I don't always get sold on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see why, but it's an interesting idea because there's this whole controversy about what does the relationship, what is the relationship like with New Japan and AEW? Because Moxley was still competing there while US champion, he was in AEW. He uh, he couldn't make it to a New Japan show, so he had to vacate the US title, and there's no word if he's going to come back yet. And there was this whole thing about the Bushy Road who owned the parent company of New Japan allegedly trying to ban Kenny Omega from entering New Japan. And now Jericho's competing on New Japan's biggest show. So it's kind of mixed messages about what the relationship actually is between these two companies. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems that like a lot of the dirt sheets say different things. I think the mm-hmm. most common one I've probably heard is that 
Jericho's contract lets him work in Japan, same for Moxley. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're not allowed to do New Japan shows in America. Yeah, because I remember Moxley being in the B block in New Japan and the G1 Climax was all down to the fact that the A block started in Dallas and and AEW was fine with them competing for New Japan in Japan, but not on American soil. So they didn't want them competing at the Dallas show, which I can kind of get. So it's very interesting. I think Jericho, given his position and the years he's been around, he's got that, that clout. He can afford to have that kind of freedom to occasionally go back to Japan and fight likes of Tanahashi. But I'm very, I'd be very surprised, actually, if Jericho actually pulls out the win against Tanahashi. Yeah, I'd be... It'll be very interesting to see because with the companies not having a working relationship, it could be quite a. It'll be quite telling the result as to whether these two companies are going to work together or not in the future. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting as a fan. Mm-hmm. Way it's going to be a great match. Yeah, absolutely. In this match, like the match that preceded, I said there wasn't much interesting going on. Like the whole story was oh, like. Maybe a preview of when uh, when Abushi and Ukara were both tagged in, like, oh, a preview of what we can see at Wrestle Kingdom night one. But they said, like, the big story was Tanahashi is the ace and he doesn't have a match. And at this stage, you'd expect someone of his caliber to have a match for Wrestle Kingdom. And, like, that was obviously then answered as uh, Jericho challenged him. And then Tanahashi basically says, well, I've not got anything else on it, Wrestle Kingdom. I final face you. Obviously, he didn't sell it. That mean Tanahashi's no fake Glasgow. But it's it's pretty much the same th- time last year that Jericho laid the gauntlet to Omega for Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, definitely. I think if you're the same venue and everything, but the thing is that before that, uh, Yoshihashi got a few like near fall roll ups on Tanahashi, and uh, one of the commentators went, "Oh, imagine if uh, Tanahashi, if uh, Yoshihashi got a, an upset win on Tanahashi, maybe that could lead to a match, singles match between them at Wrestle Kingdom." And Kevin Kelly, and I like Kevin Kelly as the lead play by play like English commentator. But he basically just shot that down, and I kind of kind of paraphrasing for him. But he basically just said, "Oh, that will that probably won't happen." Basically, just burying like Yoshihashi. Like, oh, that probably won't happen. Yoshihashi's a bit crap. He's he, he's not got the most personality in the Chaos roster. No, <laughs> he, he carries some sort of staff with him, and the life of me is much as I've been watching it, I still can't figure out what that staff thing is going to be about. I've still I've been watching for a couple of years now and I'm still confused by it. All I know is it gets me nicknamed the headhunter, but I've not yeah. seen him hunt many heads very successfully. No, very not. He's very much a he does seem to be a full time more often than not for the scale section. I mean he can he can bring it out when he really needs to. He done it with ZFG earlier this year and it was fantastic. Yeah. But elsewhere in Power Struggle we had three major championship matches. We had Kenta Making his first defense of the, or actually, sorry, the second defense of the Never Openweight title in a rematch from the man he won it from at Royal Quest, Tomohiro Ishii. We had Will Osprey defending his IWG Junior Heavyweight Championship against uh, Bushi representing LIG, and Jay White defending the Intercontinental Championship against Hiroki Goto. Uh, Grant, which one of these matches do you want to talk about first? Which one really stands out to you? I'd say the big, the big one that stands out, not just for the match, but the aftermath, Osprey and Bushy. Yeah, I, I figured you'd probably say that. Oh, that was an absolute... It, it's a match that people forget 
what Bushy is capable of. Mm-hmm. And Osprey is probably, in my opinion, the MVP in wrestling this year when you look at what he's done. He's pretty much been in every single major tournament for New Japan the whole year. He's actually wrestled more hours in the ring than Okada has in this year. As a bizarre thing to think about when you think when you think he's the junior champion of kind of being the heavyweight champion and I do agree like with the exception of the world tag league which we're going to talk about in a moment he has been in every tournament that they've they've held this year he he's I think he's one of the few men like the only man since Prince Devitt to walk into the, to compete in the G1 climax as junior heavyweight champion and like you said he's had more standout performances than pretty much anybody in doubt in all of wrestling this year so I think it's definitely an argument to say that he is the top wrestler of 2019 and Bushy for like there are no fault of his own more than not he kind of fades into the background of LAG he seems to be the less prominent member especially when they brought in Shingo with Shingo being still fairly new and he went on that dominant run in the, the best of the super juniors but this was a match to really remain people hey this is Bushy can really go when he needs to and he can compete in a big match and what I really loved is this, they used the World Tag League, they used the Super J Tag League tournament to build this match where Bushy confronted Osprey after a match because Osprey was competing in the tournament alongside Robbie Eagles saying he said I want the next shot and uh, Osprey like sure but I'm compete. I'm focused on the Tag League right now and as soon as this tournament's done you'll get your shot and then Bushy cost Osprey and Eagles a match by misting Osprey they said like he was thinking, now nah, I'll have my match now. So I made sure that Osprey and Eagles were out of the tournament so Osprey could give him his title shot. And it was fantastically done. That was just an absolute brilliant piece of storytelling that it gave it gave the match some stakes, gave it some drama and had us all set for what ended up to be an absolute riot of a match. Yeah, definitely. I I couldn't agree more. Uh it was definitely, especially the fact that this the storytelling made sense as well. Like Bushy wants his title shot and he wants it now, and he'll do what it takes to get get it as soon as he can. And it gave Osprey more motivation to go and not only get the team but get some retribution against Bushy. I really enjoyed this match. I think I enjoyed one of the other matches slightly more than this, uh, but I'll get to that. And I think. This is up there with some of the other matches Osprey's had in his dream, especially the one with uh, Dragon Lee that he had in the same venue when he won the title. And I think what happened after the match is also a major talking point as well. Yes, the return of Hiromu after what was, I think, 16 or 17 months out? Yeah, because it happened in July last year, because last June in Dominion he beat Osprey for the title and then the following month is when he suffered the injury against Dragon Lee. And then uh, after a few months, they said they figured out, like, oh, he, he won't be back in, like, within the six months required by New Japan to defend the title. So we need to strip him of the title. So, yeah, it's been close to 16 months, I believe, that Oron has been out. He's been constantly teasing that he'd be back, like, I'll be back when I'm a thousand something percent. I'm only this amount percent at, this, at the moment. He's been teasing it and teasing it, and then they had the video of the cat and the time bomb, the fuse slow ticking down, and then Hiromu returned. And if you'd never seen Hiromu Takahashi before, if you'd started watching just after he went out, and you saw the way he was acting when he came back, you'd be very, very confused. 
Oh, yeah, the way he started bumping by himself just to just to prove to us all that he, he's back, he's cleared, and he is ready to get Mister Belt back. Yeah. I mean, the Invisible Man stole the show at WrestleMania weekend last this year, so we're almost like actually proving he could go toe to toe with the Invisible Man. Oh, definitely. I was an absolute <laughs> hysterics watching him go, and just the way he left, he left Daryl with Kevin Kelly. <laughs> Uh, what a moment, and I think a lot of people were hoping the return of Roma to be back in time to face Osprey, because Osprey did that typical thing that most champions do in this period in New Japan, where they basically said, oh, i beating this person, I've beaten that person, there's nobody else, and then here's somebody to come in and challenge them and say, you and me at Wrestle Kingdom, and people were hoping that it would be Hiromu, but with the seriousness of the injury suffered with the neck injury, because you come back from an injury, some people say you're oh, you're usually not really yourself and that can show you most injuries least of all a neck injury that he suffered Yeah, a broken neck I was I, I, I was so glad to see him back because I was worried we might never see him again but the time is right and it's probably the Wrestle Kingdom match at the moment I'm most looking forward to Yeah, and it's got, they've got one of the most intriguing the whole the bumping that Romo did here was is one thing, but the fact seeing him work a full match will be very interesting considering he'll probably you'll you'll probably avoid getting back into the ring until Wrestle Kingdom, so it'll be interesting to see if he's still the same Romo that he was before. That's no, um, a ring rush should always be a worry, but I've got a feeling that Hiromu's gonna come back absolutely flying. We can only hope, but for me Obviously, this is the the standout title match because of the post-match return. But for me, from an end-ring standpoint, my favourite title match was actually the never-open-weight title match between Kenta and Ishii. It was, thankfully, a lot more easier to watch than the Royal Quest match because of the uh, nobody suffered a concussion that we know of in this match because there was concerns about Kenta being legitimately knocked out at one point in their match at Royal Quest. And... Like these guys just went in there and they just let it all out. They just battered each other, kicking and hitting forearms as hard as they can. And the uh, the announcers did a good, commentators did a good job of playing up the never open weight title and that how quickly the title usually changes hands. About how certain champions never even get past their their first defense. It's got I think the never title's got the same like rate of changing hands as the ESSR title at the moment. <laughs> It's almost a 24-7 title, and to see the belt get retained on a second defence, mm-hmm. you know, while I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, I think it's been some time, I mean, Ishii has been a kind of a standard with that belt. He's, over the last few years, like to him and Goto have been the guys, like, to the main guys to hold that belt. But, like I said, they're the guys, it's very rare to see somebody defend it successfully more than once, and Kenta managed to do that, and... This is the match I think a lot of people were hoping to see when they had their first match way back at Royal Quest. Yeah, I mean, I, I was there at Royal Quest and it was a bit unfortunate what happened during it, but I mean, the the, the rematch, absolutely incredible, and it'll be interesting to see who comes up next. Because mm-hmm. there has been rumors we talked about Roma come back injury. There's been all this rumour and speculation. I don't know if there's any legitimacy or to it, but Rumours of a Shibata return to face Kenta has been succulent, but like we talked about seriousness, like 
you talk about how serious the injury Shabbat suffered over a year ago, like more than a year and a half ago, I think, at this stage. But do you think there's any possibility of seeing Shabbat back in the ring? I think there's a possibility. He's been taking a few bumps that I wouldn't expect someone to have taken. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I mean Daniel Bryan came back after all the things with his brain, so I'm I'm hopeful. I'm not I'm not going to say it's definitely going to happen, but I get a feeling it could. And if it does, I will lose my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of us would, and I don't think we need to worry about like him not being shape or ring with being an issue because he's uh, been the head trainer of the LA do- dojo, so he's been in the ring training with the uh, the young lions. So. He's definitely still in shape to go if he if he was able to come back. So it's just a case of like ring rust of him wrestling a full on match would be the only real concern, I think. As long as he can avoid using that headbutt again, that's the main thing. You know, like you think like I know Shabbat, I know it's tempting, but please don't headbutt him. You can use whatever part of your body you want. Just don't headbutt him, please, for your own safety. Never again after <laughs> the state that it was after that Okada match. I know because it was it was really sad because a lot of people thought going into it that this that was going to be his moment to finally be the champion and to see it end that way. Like if he just came back even for a couple of months, I think that would be a more satisfying conclusion to his career than the way it went out. Yeah, definitely. It's it would be great to see him getting to come back, getting another shot at things, mm-hmm. even on a part time basis, not going all out. Yeah, definitely. And I think. He's got this friendship with Kenta, and I think those two together have got a story that makes sense. And I think they know each other well enough that they could do a safe enough match and make it look good and to avoid any serious injuries happening to Shibata. But we go into the final match, the main event of the evening, as Jay White defending the IWGP Intercontinental Championship against Hiroki Goto. And this had good interesting implications because the IWGP and our Continental Championship will be defended on night one of Wrestle Kingdom as well as the heavyweight title. And the two winners, as announced, will go on to night two and there will be a winner-takes-all match. So this had interesting implications as J.Y. is like saying he's going to be in that match, but then Goto could upset Jay White's, all, Jay White's plans to get into that match. And Goto, as much as he's been a nearly man, in New Japan for the last few years, he's gotten some upset wins over Jay White. He beat him in the uh, G1 Climax, I believe. So they laid that doubt in your mind that Goto could pull it out and actually get to the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. I had a feeling that I felt White was going to win it all, mm-hmm. all, all in because he's he's been built up so strong since he made that debut. After coming back from excursion, going straight into an intercontinental title match with Tanahashi, getting to beat Omega for the US belt, he's been built in such big things and taking over Bullet Club. Mm-hmm. So I felt it, it, I felt him keeping the belt was the right thing for the build that we want for Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, because like the story of it, because it'll be Henry Naito on night one, and Naito being the one that he took the title from in the first place. And Naito is also somebody who said he wants to hold both belts. So I think for a storyline perspective, uh, it made you think for a second, maybe maybe, G, maybe Koto could do it. But I think 
And I think having that little bit of doubt, even when you think you know what's going to happen, having that little bit of doubt can really help a story. But overall, I agree with you. It's probably the right decision to have uh, Jay White go over and move on to Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, I mean, Jay White having the belt, it, it builds it well for him and Naito. Naito was the first one recently mm-hmm. to really say that he wants both belts. and Everyone else seems to have made a thing out of it now that they all want a shot in it. Mm-hmm. It's definitely um, going to be an important one. Yeah, definitely. It's like a first time ever thing for New Japan for the both major belts, like the IWGP Heavyweight and the Intercontinental Title. Like we've seen other companies, uh, other companies do it, and but I think it's the first time New Japan's ever done it. The first time they've done it with the Intercontinental and the Heavyweight belts, they've done other multiple title matches before but it usually involved other brands belts back in the 90s what were your thoughts on power struggle kind of as a whole power struggle done exactly what it does every year it was made of big moments big surprises and fantastic wrestling it's always one of the highlights of the new japan calendar yeah i think it's because it's so close to uh, to wrestle kingdom and there's that idea that they've got build a reputation of surprises happening so like, like you said definitely that intrigue of not knowing what's going to happen who could challenge who definitely helps it because even at the start of the show they played a little video package showing a shocking moment that had happened from each like of the past few like well this year so-and-so got challenged by this person and this person appeared at this show so basically get setting up the idea that anything can happen Power Struggle is your fantasy booking time. If you want to think of a fantasy that you think won't happen, it's going to happen at Power Struggle. <laughs> Definitely, but we move on to uh, New Japan showdown shows that they held in San Jose and LA uh, later on in November. Uh, not a lot to talk about on the second night because that was very tag match heavy. They featured some of the guys from the LA dojo. Uh, two of the very notable matches on the first night in San Jose was the fact that uh, they continued the build to the IWGP Junior title match with Show since he got that pin over ELP. He got a shot at ELP's British Cruiserweight Championship from Red Pro. And the main event, so a very interesting main event of a tight team I didn't know I wanted until I saw the uh, the graphic of Amazing Red and Kota Ibushi teaming up against Okada and Will Ospreay. Like, Amazing Red is somebody I didn't think I'd get to see again because I think there were those rumours a while back that he had pretty much retired. He had even put out a, a video statement saying that that was him done, he was retiring and eventually Osprey managed to coax him back and he made that big return mm-hmm. at the Super J Cup. Yeah. Which was, was American shows as well. Yeah, was, I think it's definitely a smart decision to have like him being like one of the he was one of the first proper like indie darlings, I think, way back in the day. He beat in the early days of Ring of Honor and TNA when they were still breaking out, and to get him interacting with some of the best juniors of today, like Osprey, is a great thing to see. And is I believe he'd been doing more training nowadays. Like he trained uh, Private Party, my favorite tag team in AEW at the moment. So you know he's been doing quite a bit. He's given a lot back to wrestling. It definitely is, and um, even Osprey as well says without Amazing Red there wouldn't be Will Osprey. Yeah, definitely. Osprey's spoken very highly of him. 
yeah, and the two of them really went hammer and tong on the first round in the Super J Cup. So adding Ibushi Nokada, it's a dream mixed junior heavyweight tag, junior and heavyweight tag match. Definitely. Uh, other than these matches, I don't know if I've got much else to say about it. I think these shows were more so a continuation of the expansion of New Japan into America. They announced recently the uh, New Japan US brand, perfectly titled New Japan of America, which <laughs> sounds like something that sounds cool when you say it in Japanese, but when you actually translate it, it doesn't. It loses its coolness a little bit. Yeah, I mean the the, show, the first show, the only other two big things from it really was that it was Liger's last US match. Yeah, there was that because they've been teasing this all like, like especially in Osaka, they uh, for a power struggle they mentioned, oh this will be the last time Liger wrestles in this building. And he mentioned, oh, he won this in this building. His last IWGP title was in this building. And basically, it's the farewell tour of Liger at the moment. And I remember he was at OTT back in March, and I almost got an opportunity to be at that show he was at. So that was my, I would have been my last opportunity to actually see Liger live. And I missed it. I just missed out on it. And that's something I'll be, I'll be kicking myself about because he's one of the guys I wanted to see live, and I don't think I'll ever get the chance now. Yeah, that's uh, we've. I think we've uh, we've all missed the boat in that one because his last show in the UK was at Rev Pro as well, rather than what I was hoping would be Royal Quest. Yeah, and I think the other big thing that I picked up from that event was really that it was Lance Archer, a US a US holding the US belt, defending it on US soil for the first time. Oh yeah, I can't believe I forgot about that. Yes, Lance Archer when. John Moxley couldn't make his scheduled title defence against just Robinson. Uh, Lance Archer stepped in his place for, to challenge Robinson for the vacant title, and Archer picked up the win and then successfully defended against uh, Robinson's good friend and tag partner, David Finlay. And Archer, I think recently, a lot of people have suddenly realised that they've overlooked Archer for a while because he surprised a lot of people in the in the G1 Climax. He had great matches against the likes of Osprey, Kenta, you had a great big fan match against Fale, and now he's a US champion. It's kind of one of those things where you forget how good someone is, and now I know you're like, Jesus, have you always been like this good? Yeah, I mean, everyone used to always think of him as just killer elite squad with Davy Boy Smith Jr., but since he's been on his own, he's really, he's really came on leaps and bounds. He's went from just generic big man to moving fast, powerful, back finish the EBD claw which can just come out of nowhere and pretty much is a pin and submission at the same time Yeah, I mean, he's just freakishly agile for a big man and I think as good as a tight team he was, as good as the tight team with him and Davy Boy Smith Jr. was it was almost kind of holding him back from truly showcasing what he could do, I think once he was out of that tight team scene and thrusted into the singles division with the G1, he really got to show like I've got a lot more to offer than you realise. Yeah, and he's really making the best with it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, with the US title, and some people are speculating if they can, if there is a relationship with New, with New Japan and AEW, that maybe we could see Moxley popping back for his rematch at Wrestle Kingdom. It would be an interesting match. If they keep it in the, the habit of the no disqualification, it would be a pretty brutal matchup. Yeah, definitely. Like I think these are two guys who... A lot of people don't realise just how well they would match up because they can they're probably good at the whole brawling cast. They'll know that they need to rely on that, but it does seem to be their specialty a bit. 
Yeah, sometimes you don't want a match, you just want a nice ugly fight. <laughs> yeah, no, you just want to see two guys just beat the hell out of each other, that's too much to ask. And that would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that match, this idea of the, the New Japan American brand, I mean, it seems like something that's kind of been coming for a while. Uh, the surprise, it took people by surprise because there was rumours that WWE was going to kind of do the opposite and announce kind of NXT Japan. The rumours they were trying to bra- they were trying to buy Pro Wrestling Noah, but then New Japan kind of surprised everybody with this announcement. Do you think this is something we could? What are your thoughts on this idea of a New Japan like regular US brand doing regular shows in the US? I love the idea of it because the LA Dojo has been around for a little bit of time now, and things like the way they've well, we've even got Gabriel Kidd from the UK training at the LA Dojo. And I think the big question I've got, though, is does this signal the end of their relationship with Ring of Honor? Possibly, because there has been talk that they, they were very annoyed with some of the decisions made by Ring of Honor back at the MSG show. So I think they may be looking to get out of that deal when their contract, like their current deal, runs out. And I think they're kind of trying to prove it with the JoJo, bringing a lot more American, like North American-based wrestlers. Uh they can run a brand on their own without having to rely on places like Ring of Honor. I mean, I'm sure there are guys in Ring of Honor who want to come over to that brand. You've got, you can make the US title the focal point of those shows. They can main a, that title can main event, and that can be made to look like a serious thing. Because you know, I think the creation of that title in the first place was meant to be part of this expansion because the first champion was crowned in America. Yeah, and I mean, even the way they've brought in things like um, TJP coming back, and he's an LA Dojo original back in the day. And yeah, the LA Dojo Young Lions have been popping up all over the place, even appearing at Rev Pro earlier this year. So it, it shows New Japan aren't just half-assing it. They really want to go all in for this. Yeah, because I remember Gabriel Kidd, he popped into uh, ICW Challenge Liam Thompson a couple of months back, and he looked phenomenal. Clearly, he's coming on leaps and bounds and going over at the dojo. The fact that he was created personally by Shibata at a Red Pro show, like, shows they see high hopes for him. And uh, we've got TJP, it's great to see him back regularly. And uh, TJP, who, by the way, we've got an interview on our free feed with Steve Milson on All Good Android Podcast and sites. Can't, you can't have a show without getting a few plugs in there. <laughs> Definitely. Mr. Wilson will be pleased. Yes, they will be. <laughs> Joking that massive, massive ego of his. <laughs> yeah. See, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very hopeful. Like, I mean, to see, um, I, I have a feeling they'll have some crossover beginning with some top like New Japan guys, because they, they will have some uh, name value to add to the brand. You've got Colt Cabana, who has competed with New Japan before. He's the national champion in the NWA. I'd be interested to see if he can uh, make some regular appearances as part of that brand. Definitely, it'll be interesting to see how this impacts the people they're using at the moment that are in other promotions. Yeah, because NWA have been very open to, like, we can book our talent outside of our, like, taping schedule as long as, like, you, as long as they can work out a decent enough agreement that doesn't negatively impact either company. They're very open to working with other companies, unlike maybe somewhere like AEW or WAB who'd maybe want their talent to be very exclusive to them. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's good when if companies can talent share, the benefits are there. And plus, New Japan's expansion 
they've announced sort of where they're planning, so it's not quite covering all of America yet. It's still kind of early days, so a bit of the West Coast, a bit of the East Coast, and I think a little bit of Texas. Because mm-hmm. they did that tour a while back in September where they covered like Boston, New York, and Philadelphia, which are like very big like hotbeds when it comes to pro wrestling, especially New York and Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm pretty sure one of them was the ECW arena. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was the Philadelphia one was in the ECW because it seems to be a company can't work run a show in ECW in Philadelphia without running that venue. That's that's the goal. Even Progress have done it. So yeah, New Progress, Progress evolve. Everyone's at it, but it's it, it's got heritage. It definitely counts. <laughs> yeah, it does. But we uh, we'll wrap up this first episode by talking about the uh, last tournament in the New Japan calendar which is at time recording it's kind of halfway through almost at this stage uh, I'm struggling to keep up with it at this point because New Japan's tournaments I always struggle to keep up with but we'll have a more in-depth talk about it maybe next week because sorry next month because we'll be talking about the final and then lead up to Wrestle Kingdom but it's New Japan's World Tag League which is basically the same as the Junior Tag League, but for the heavyweight tag titles, there's a round robin tournament where each team will eventually like face each other at least once. And I'll get a run through the teams at the moment in no particular order and talk about the uh, how that each team is currently doing. Remember, this is at time recording. They could have done a show uh, where the, these rankings could completely change by the time you listen to this. But as I said, this is time we're recording. Uh, we have the team of Hiroki Goto and Carl Fredericks currently standing at. Two wins and six losses with a total of four points. You have Colt Cabana and Toriano doing better than I thought they would with six wins and three with three losses with a total of 12 points. You have Chase Owens in Bad Luck Valley with three wins, five losses, a total of six points. Uh, Nakanishi and Yuji Nagata with one win, nine losses with a total of two points. You have Kenta teaming with Yujiro Takahashi with total of four wins and four losses, so eight points. You have Tenzan and Kojima with four wins, six losses at eight points. You have Great Bash Get for a team that has won the tournament twice. They're not doing very well this year with three wins and seven losses and a total of six points. You have Lance Archer and Minoru Suzuki, probably the scariest team in this tournament, with six wins, three losses at a total of 12 points. You have Terry Blay, I hope that's how you pronounce it, and Shingo Takagi represent LIJ, five wins, five losses, and a total of 10 points. Uh, Tori Hanare and Hiroshi Tanahashi with two wins and seven losses, a total of four points. Uh, the current IWGP Tag Team Champions, the Guerrillas of Destiny, represent Bullet Club, have a total of 12 points with six wins and two losses. Jeff Cobb and Mikey Nicholas, the former Nick Miller of TN61 and NXT, have five wins and five losses, so 10 points for them. Zack Sabre Jr. and Taishi have three wins and five losses, so six points for them. And the last three teams all have seven wins and one loss, giving them each tied for first with a total of 14 points. And this is a team of uh, Yoshihashi and Tomohu Ishii, Evo and Sanada, and Finlay and Juice Robinson. A lot to think, a lot to digest there. Yeah, looking at looking at the league, um, Evelyn Snada were never in question to be sitting up the top. 
because it's it's never quite a Wrestle Kingdom without a heavyweight tag match that either has G.O.D. or Evil and Sanada and in the past War Machine Viking Raiders now when they used to be there. But yeah. I think the pleasant surprise for me was seeing Finjuice sitting right up at the top as well. Yeah, definitely. I think they are the favourites at the moment along with Evil and Sanada and we talk about kind of predictability with Rapongi 3K maybe in the junior tag division. Uh, Evil and Sanada won the last two World Tag Leagues and I think it would be slightly more predictable if they did win this year so I was kind of hopeful for maybe a new challenger for G.O.D. and I think Finjuice are that would kind of be a breath of fresh air as a challenge and it would kind of be you'd kind of, even if you had them beat Evil and Sanada in the final with the last two years when I was going up against this team that surprised people with how well they've done and then they pull out kind of the win I think it would be a great piece of like storytelling for this tournament. And then you've got the beauty that is the big spoilers that are Yano and Colt who have gotten wins over G.O.D. and Evil and Sonata with that yeah. beloved Superman pin. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll hold that pin. And it does seem to be Yano's kind of thing where he, out of nowhere he gets these upset wins over big stars. Like he did it with uh, Naito back at the G1 Climax and he's done it in the past against the likes of Kenny Omega when Kenny Omega was there. But mm-hmm. you and me were, were talking like as we were preparing for the show about the teams representing Suzuki Gun. We think that maybe as good as I think Archer and Suzuki are as a team, and I think they would be interesting if they won this tournament. But I think it's unlikely. We, you said, and I agreed with you, that maybe Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. as a team in this tournament would have made more sense. Definitely based on their history in Rev Pro and how long they held the Rev Pro tag belts for. But I mean, on on the plus side, because we've got two days of Wrestle Kingdom, there's nothing to say that singles belts can't be defended in one day and the tag matches on the other. So there's New Japan have given themselves a lot more space mm-hmm. for how they can plan the card out. Yeah, because like Archer could definitely defend the US belt on one show and then the tag belts on the other night. And you can have him talk about. Forget your your double main event on night two. Um, the only person's going to be walk. There's going to be another person walking out with two titles, and it's going to be me. And you know that would basically be fitting his character. But at the point I was making about Saxon Junior, if they did that, and that they might def- have him defend the Red Pro title on the show because they had him win it from Tommy Yorishi at the last uh, Wrestle Kingdom. I was saying about how because that is a Red Pro title, not a New Japan title. If Zach and Suzuki won the tournament, then there would be less kind of need for Zach to be in a singles match and you could have him Suzuki in the tag title match because other than that I don't know where else you put uh, Zach on the show because I can just see him and a couple of random members of Suzuki and these random gauntlets that they seem to do every year or so for the six man belts which seem to be the way way down on the totem pole at the moment. The, the belts that are always forgotten about. I remember when we talked about this, you, you couldn't even remember who the title holders were. It's been that long. <laughs> yeah, you told me it was Yano, Makabe and Toguchi. Um, yeah, a very odd combination, but fun to watch. Yeah, and what a prolific reign they've had. So impactful that I don't even remember it. <laughs> it is one of the things. It's a belt I think they should just drop. Um, it frees up the card a bit more. And it, the fact things like ELP defending that British cruiserweight belt in New Japan for the first time, if mm-hmm. this this partnership with RevPro keeps going the way it is, I wouldn't say there'd been anything wrong with the other RevPro belts getting defended on it. 
Yeah, totally. Especially since like they had a Buzzy Open former Red Pro Tie Champs challenging G.O.D. on Royal Quest, so there's definitely that crossover, and they were fun when they were first introduced, and I like the idea of a six-man title, but yeah, like if you're not going to do anything with them, then there's no point in having them, because Vigiband does have quite a few titles at the moment, and each one of them, for the most part, has a purpose, except for these ones, so the other ones that are the most expendable. And that's where I'm honest, because everyone knows how much I'm a New Japan mark in the group, <laughs> but... It's where I feel New Japan sometimes lacks depth as their tag divisions, and I sometimes feel they spread themselves too thin by having a junior heavyweight tag belt, a heavyweight tag belt, and a six-man tag belt. It's a yeah. little bit overkill. Yeah, definitely. There's nothing wrong with being a New Japan mark. I mean, that's why that's why you're here, Grant. I mean, so it does have some advantages. So, but I do agree. Like people say, like not just New Japan, but in all of wrestling, like in WWE, there are way too many titles. And it kind of devalues them when so many people are winning a title. And that's why you probably should get rid of the, the six-man belts. But when you look at these teams, like, they do seem to follow a certain uh, a certain kind of hierarchy in this team. And the uh, tournament in that they've got the guys who will probably win, the guys who will just get close enough, and the guys who kind of, kind of get upsets. But there's also kind of these teams of kind of established veterans and you've got a kind of top star teaming with someone who's able to take the pin, like a young line or a lower card wrestler, who are basically there to give other teams a win. And with the likes of like Nikata and that, they're the kind of guys that are there to give people wins. Yeah, I mean, that's it's always felt at certain points, like um, when they let the young lions go into the, the best of super juniors in the New Japan, um, not in New Japan Cup, the G1 this year, you knew by the end of it the young lions were going to have zero wins and 10 losses, but. It's it gives them experience. It's predictable, but it, it, they need to learn. <laughs> yeah, like you got to learn the rough way, and that's getting beaten up by the likes of Suzuki. And it, it does pay off in the long term. Um, Jay White was one of those young lions at one point. Went off an excursion. Look where he is now. Yeah. Um, in the UK at the moment, we have three young lions on excursion, all down at Rev Pro. We have. Oka, who is going by Dominator Okarn. Mm-hmm. There's Shota, Big Shooter, Umino. <laughs> and, oh, and we have Hikuleo, who's even been up here in Scotland, up for discovery when he teamed with ELP against the 9-9. A 9? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it, and it shows, I mean, that these all these guys, when they were back in Japan, were taking the loss after loss. But that's the new Japan style. The young lines get the losses. They go away. They come back. Even Knight was one of them. He went away to Mexico. He's came back and he's one of the best. Mm-hmm, definitely. So if you had to guess, like, is this tournament kind of predictable? Or do you think there's still some other teams outside of the top three that have a chance of winning? I feel, looking at it, it's... Slightly predictable, but I feel it could be anyone of the top six. The fact that there's three teams in 14 and three teams in 12, I feel any one of those six teams could come away with it. My 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 personal preference is I'm usually evil in Snada, love LIG all the way, but because it's been done quite a few times, I believe this year's a good time for Finjus because Robinson is a big fan favourite. Finley being back from injury is looking fresh, he's looking the best he's looked, and it would be a great breath of fresh air for the tag division. 
Yeah, I agree with you. Finjuice is definitely like my top pick for this tournament. I mean, like, because there would be a different kind of a team. I think the issue of being you talked about is God have kind of been in, uh, kind of been the top team in the division for some time now. They've been a level above everybody else, and it seems to have been they've bitten. They've uh, they've beaten everybody they can at the moment. That's why it seems to be like the idea of it's crazy scenario. The idea of them winning is just like oh, not again. And if they have a concern about Finjuice and G.O.D. and who t- who takes the pin, because Yano and Cabana got that win over G.O.D. in the first match, mm-hmm. it opens it up for them to do the age-old New Japan favourite of put a third team in who could be the team that are really just there to eat the pin. Yeah. I mean, I think before like, I looked at the standings, I thought it would be interesting to just have a evil... Sorry, G.O.D. win the tournaments themselves as the champions because I think it's very rare to see that happen and then have someone challenge them and or somebody who beat them in the tournament or have them pick their own opponents like basically something out of the box like I said like thinking of basically anything other than anything other than Evelyn Sada again but I think we both agreed Finjus might be the best option Finjus definitely the best option Ishii and Yoshihashi have surprised me being as high as they are because usually Yoshihashi is kind of further down the pecking order. So they're they're dark horses. They're, they could be a big surprise. Yeah, they totally are. And because like I remember looking at like of Shingo and Terry Play or Suzuki and Archer, they were definitely like dark horse picks for me. But looking at the top standing, I think we can see who is probably going to who is probably the best likely to win. But we'll have more thoughts on the World Tag League. In next month's episode, because remember this is a monthly series, and next month we'll be looking at the looking at the World Tag League finals and looking back at the tournament, seeing maybe if this was the right decision of whoever actually wins the tournament, and then we'll have ourselves a Wrestle Kingdom preview of both nights, because by then hopefully a few more people who are, haven't found their spot on the night yet should have uh, should have a match announced, or if they haven't, it's always fun to speculate as a wrestling fan. So first off, I want to thank uh, Grant for joining me for this first episode. Grant, have you had a good time? I've had a brilliant time. I always love talking New Japan any day of the week. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And there's, plenty, there's going to be plenty more New Japan to be talking about because, as I said, Wrestle Kingdom is fastly, fastly approaching. We've got two nights this year for the price of one. Two nights of that, and then one of my favourite events goes the day after it, New Year's Dash, where everything resets and the year starts afresh. Mm-hmm. Eventually, uh, looking forward to that. But and hopefully, you're looking forward to hearing more of this show and hopefully the rest, more of our Patreon content. And maybe you can hear hear a lot all that by subscribing and pledging for as little as four dollars a month to hear all of our weekly content and six dollars a month for the Taboo Tuesday, where you can submit questions and play video games and get involved with us. You're making our bonus content, and you can if you don't want a pay the money, listen to this, and you just pledge $1 a month and you can get all of our stuff on our free feed on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, every Wednesday, regular interviews like my interview that went out recently with Ricky Starks of NWA Power, and you can follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Retweet. and always remember folks, that much like Bullet Club, ESSR is for life. We'll see you next time.